last time we were in Mark, uh, we looked at a familiar passage, a familiar parable, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the seed and the sower. And if you remember, uh, we looked at four soils or four responses to the truth. Uh, They were the roadside soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And the roadside soil, if you remember, uh, the way a farmer would sow seed is they would have a seed on his hip. And they would cast the seed across into the field, and sometimes the seed would fall on hard soil or a roadside path that was hard. And Jesus explains that as soon as the seed fell on the hard soil, birds would come and take it away. And in verse 15 of chapter 4, it says that Satan was like the birds that came and snatched it out. And Satan will do anything to hinder or obstruct or inhibit the Word of God penetrating the heart. The soil was also described of the rocky soil, where the, the seed was sown on uh, soil that was rocky. The roots didn't have enough uh, place to grow, and so uh, Jesus talks about that being uh, a soil where we have areas in our life that whenever the, the hard times come, the roots aren't there to, to withstand the persecutions and the pressures. Then there's also a third type of soil, which was the thorny soil. And the thorny soil, Jesus described as things in life that come and choke out the seed, the truth, uh, the, the life that Jesus offers. And his point was is that our interest and our desires can sometimes choke out the truth of what God wants to teach us. And he describes in verse 19 three different thorns, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, And then the third one was a more comprehensive general terms, and when he says it's a desire for other things than the things of God. And then we get to the final soil, which most of us said was, you know, that's me. I'm I'm the good soil. But there's three things that Jesus uh, talks about with the good soil, and the the, the kind of the the product or the, the fruit of good soil is that we hear the word, that we take time and listen to the truth of God. But not only do we hear it, but we receive it, because sometimes God's truth is hard to hear in our lives. And then we hear it, we receive it and accept it, and then Jesus says good soil puts it into action. All throughout the New Testament, when Jesus talks about parables, he's talking about parables of hope, that there is hope with the truth of Jesus. Now this morning we continue in chapter 4, as Jesus gives us another familiar parable of the lamp on the lampstand. And the title of the message this morning is, Hide It Under a Bushel, No. So before we begin this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the opportunity you give us to bow our heads before you, to thank you for your goodness and for your grace, to thank you for Jesus for his continual invitation into a relationship, a deeper relationship with you. God, I thank you for your spirit who teaches us in all wisdom and all truth. And God, we pray that this morning as we bow our heads before you, that you would find each of us here ready to receive and to hear and to put into action what we hear from you. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you or beside you that they would hear from the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. 
We're going to read verses 21 through 25. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. And he, Jesus, was saying to them, A lamp is not brought out to put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought out to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure it will be measured to you, and more will be given uh, you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken from him. Now remember, Jesus taught in parables. Uh, the gospel records some 60 different parables of Jesus, most of which are found in Matthew and Luke, fewer in Mark, and there's none in John. Uh, growing up, you may have heard this definition, as I mentioned last week, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The word parable means laying one thing beside another thing to view in comparison. And the parallel that I looked at last week was the picture of a train track, that there are the truth of God and our earthly objects or situations, and God wants to tie those things together like a train track. That's what he taught in par parables. And so what we hope to do this morning is have the Holy Spirit teach us God's truth in the midst of our earthly objects and situations. Now, let me just make a disclaimer this morning. Uh, there are going to be a lot of verses this week, a lot of different references, and I will try to give the reference to all of them, but don't get lost in trying to write all of them down. Um, just write the reference and then go back to it later this week. Now, there's three things I want to look at this morning, three different areas of this, uh, this parable, and the first one is the important case for light and truth, then the effects of that light and lamps, and then when light is suppressed. The first point, important case for light and truth. I want to say from the very beginning that truth is absolute and objective. Truth is absolute and objective. About 20, 25 years ago, in a book titled The Day America Told the Truth, the authors James Patterson and Peter Kim paint a rather grim picture of America. They tell us that in a recent survey of Americans, in fact, it wasn't so recent, it was about 30 years ago, 1991, they found out that 91% of Americans lie regularly. Now let me ask you, if there's 150-ish people here this morning, that would mean like 130 or so of you lie. Do you lie regularly? It's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? The authors of this book, though, assure us that this survey was done anonymously so it would secure a truthful answer. But how do we believe the authors of the book if they say everybody lies? G.K. <laughs> Chesterton said this, and I love this quote. We have made fiction to suit ourselves. We've all said it. Maybe we've heard it. Where we see people and we go, man, they just live in a fantasy land. Know anybody like that? Living or lying in fiction is the unreal or false world. Is living in a personal, secret, self-satisfying 
fantasy land. And living in a false world leaves us in bondage. In a striking counterposition, Jesus' teaching repeatedly refers to the supreme assertion that truth is absolute and real and defines human nature and destiny. For many years, when I was doing youth ministry, we would take many trips to Windy Gap. Windy Gap was a young life camp up in North Carolina. We would have a great week with kids talking about Jesus and the truth of God and all these great conversations. They didn't have their cell phones. They didn't have anything. We just talked about Jesus, and they loved it. And then every time we got ready to get on the bus to come back home, somebody would say this, well, I guess it's time to go back to the real world. And I always said, no, this is the real world. That home is the false world, where you try to live up to false expectations. This, what we've experienced this week, is the real world. Jesus teaches that there is a real truth and defines human nature and destiny. And that truth gives freedom and not bondage. Remember what Jesus says in John 8, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from the lies. From false truth. If we build our our lives upon lies, we are on a road to self-destruction. And without the belief in and practice of truth, there is no freedom, only the illusion of it. Many people will tell you, Truth is relative. That truth is only from a certain perspectives. Well, you can have your truth and I'll have my truth. How many times have you heard that? Whatever's true for you is true for you, but whatever's true for me is true for me. And I'm really glad you found something that works for you. That found a truth. That, how many of you have ever heard this? You just, you do you. That's kind of the mentality that we have. And Jesus is going, no, there is an absolute truth. Real truth is for everyone, everywhere, at all times, and is not compatible with any opposing set of beliefs. Our world believes, in most cases, that truth cannot be fully known, or that truth is relative. Have you ever heard the story of the, of the six blind men, and they come up on an elephant? It's often helped to use to describe this. One blind man, the first blind man, feeling the trunk of the elephant, Uh, uh, thought it was a snake. Another discovered the ears and thought it was a fan. The one who came across the body thought it ran into a wall. The one after finding the leg thought it was a tree. Another holding its tail declared with certainty that it was a rope. And finally, the last man felt the tusk and declared it to be a spear. To some that will hear this and say that what each person felt was true to them. I think this is a snake, so it's a snake. But do you see the fallacy in it? All of the blind men were wrong. Why? Because it was an elephant. None of their conclusions were true. Norman Geisler, who's an American Christian systematic theologian, philosopher, and also proficient in Christian apologetics, says there's two things about absolute truths. One is that whatever is true at one time and in one place is true at all times and all places. Whatever is true 
for one person is true for all persons. This type of thinking and teaching is very counterculture to what's out there. But Jesus says that there is an absolute truth. Many Bible scholars would tell you that all truth is God's truth, and that absolute truth is the person of Jesus Christ, which is our second point. First, John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw him his glory. Glory as only the begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Jesus says of himself in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Someone has said when we are lost, he is our way. When we have been lied to, he is the truth. And when we are dead in our sins, he is the life. Truth is absolutely personified in the person of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he made a case for truth. Dispelling the lies. Truth is Christ and Christ is truth. And it's important to understand this perspective of it is that we do not know Christ because of truth. We know truth because of Christ. It's the parallel of what C.S. Lewis said when he talked about the Son. He says, I believe in Christianity and Jesus as I believe that the Son has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You know what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight? He says, come to who? Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, laden, and I'll give you rest. What is the rest from? He says, come to me, the truth, and I'll give you rest from the lies and false expectations of the world. Now, this invitation of Jesus stands in marked distinction to all the other systems of the world and philosophies. The religions of the world point to paths, various ways, various appeasements to reach various ends. But the truth of Scripture always invites a person to a person. The person of Jesus. Now some of you are looking at me going, why in the world are you making such an apologetic case for truth? Because in this passage in Mark, most scholars and commentators believe that Jesus, when referring to the lamp, is referring to himself. Jesus is not only the truth, but he is the light, the lamp. Listen to what John 1, 4, and 5 says. In him was life, and the life was the light of the world. Verse 5, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. This world we live in, with all of its relative thinking, cannot comprehend that there is an absolute truth in the person of Jesus. Scripture In Scripture, light is associated with the truth of God. Listen to these passages. 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. James declares God to be the father of lights, 1, 7, James 1, 17. The psalmist portrays God as one. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. The word of God, Psalm 119, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So in Scripture, you see that a lamp or a light is always associated with God's truth, his holiness and his purity, and associated with Jesus. And there is no other light to our life. So if Jesus is the light or the lamp, what does the light or the lamp do? The effects of the light and the lamp. Listen to verse 21 through 23. 
And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, or is it, or, a, or under a bed? Now, basket can also be translated as bushel. Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been in secret that, has, that would become to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Something interesting about this passage that, when you study it in the Greek, is that there is an article in front of these four words, lamp, bed, bushel or basket, and stand. Meaning that Jesus is using a parallel, actual earthly objects to make a point about spiritual things. Now the word bed in this uh, translation, it means really to recline. Because in the, in the days of Jesus, uh, they didn't have like tables and chairs and set up all proper. They reclined by the table, like on a couch, and there would be a side dining table. The word stand here in the Greek is implicit when it means lampstand. A basket or bushel is a dry measure holding about a peck. And the lamp in the one-room house was a familiar object along with the bushel, basket, bed, and the lampstand. Now, in the Jewish culture... I brought this back from Israel a long time ago, and this the, basically this picture here, and this is what a traditional lamp would look like. Got this one from Nazareth. You'd pour the oil in here, and you'd light this, and then you would set it on the lampstand, and you would light it. So Jesus is referring to this common, ordinary object to relate an extraordinary spiritual lesson. So what does a lamp do? I want to use some cross ties here, the comparisons to the light of Jesus. The first thing is that this light or the lamp exposes what is hidden. Uh, how many of you have a flashlight? Why do you use a flashlight? To find stuff in the dark, right? Mechanics use flashlights. Surgeons, thankfully, use flashlights and lights. Mark 4.22 for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. There's a reason the world wants to extinguish light, because it exposes what is hidden. John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Many times we feel like we can kind of cover up our sins, cover them over, engage in some kind of secret and hidden sins, and never be discovered. But the truth is that just is not so. Someday, everything is going to be revealed by the light. One of the oldest principles, and I remember grandmothers used to say it in my life, it was based off Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sins will find you out. Hebrews 14, 4.13, God knows what we do. Hebrews 12.6, God cares about what we do. And Mark 4.22, what we do will be known. We cannot hide anything from God. We can try behind all kinds of different things. Our job, relationships, money, social media presenting what others think that they need to think about me, yet hiding behind a screen knowing the truth about what we post. 
status, and on and on and on. There's these hidden things. But God knows the real you. Your real self, your flaws and all. And here's the beauty. He still loves and cares for you. God's light reveals the real you and the real me. God's light exposes what is trying to be hidden. That's what a light does. A lamp also is fire, a consuming fire, consuming what is impure, refining what is pure. Job 23.10, one of my favorite verses, But he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Malachi 3.3, He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Fire is used in purifying gold or refining silver. Fire would heat up and burn away the impurities. If you've ever heard this illustration analogy before, a silversmith will hold silver over fire, and he'll hold it. And there's two things about the process that are really important. First is that he always holds it, and he's always watching it. If the silver is left too long in the flames, it will be destroyed. So only the silversmith knows how long is too long. And in refining silver, you have to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames are the hottest as to burn away all the impurities. And if you ask a silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? They will say, oh, that's easy. When I see my own image in the silver, the refining process is complete. Now think about that. A lamp, God's fire, refines consumes the impurity and refines what is pure in order that we can be image bearers of Christ when he sees his reflection in our lives. The third thing a lamp does is that it warmth gives warmth or security from a dark and cold world. Isaiah 39, 8 says this, The word of the Lord, or the light or the lamp of truth, that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Psalm 1830, the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. I I love this image. I love this picture that that we, we are wrapped in God's truth. And there is protection and warmth and security from the cold, dark world of false truths. Verse 119 of 105, we've said it over and over this morning. But the last thing the light does is it gives direction. Your word, Jesus, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's light is the only true direction that we have in this life. And God's truth, I found this true in my own life and you have too, that God's truth answers questions before they're ever asked. Does God want me to marry this girl or that girl, guy? Uh, Go to this job or move to this place? God can be a light to our feet. It doesn't say that he's going to be a floodlight for our life. He's not going to give us years and years ahead of us. It's a lamp to our feet, just enough for the next step. So when we get to questions, God, what do you want me to do? Should I steal this? No, God's word already says no. Should I treat my wife and husband and kids with anger or criticism? No, God's light has already shown that and directed me in that. Should I respond that way when people on 278 do not know how to drive? We pray and sing worship songs, right? While they do that. But notice this progression. 
Notice this progression of what a lamp of the light of Jesus can do. The progression is that the light of Jesus exposes what is hidden. That Jesus loves us enough to convict us and discipline us of our shortcomings and our sins. That light exposes it. And then he takes the fire and consumes all those impurities, all those shortcomings, all the unrighteousness. And then, with the warmth and security of redemption and restoration, the amazing grace that he has for us. And then he has the love and joy to give us direction and purpose once again so that we might bear the image of Christ. This is the good news. This is what the light of Jesus does. So where is the light now? On a lampstand or under a bushel? Verse 21 says, A lamp is not to be brought out to be put under a bushel or basket, is it? There's a story of a young boy who went with his parents touring around Europe one summer. And part of their tour included seeing all the great cathedrals and churches. And he visited cathedral after cathedral, church after church. He was impressed by the massive stained glass portraits of the disciples and the other saints as he stood in the great empty halls looking through the beautiful stained glass windows. And upon returning home, he goes to church the next week and his Sunday school teacher asked him about his trip to Europe. And he thought for a moment about the great churches and their grand windows and he said, I love the scene and awe of the hugeness of God and how big he must be. And I love the stained glass windows with their images of the saints. And the Sunday school teacher asked him, and what is a saint? And his mind went back to those big, beautiful windows. And he said, a saint is a person the light shines through. A saint is a person the light shines through. Jesus is saying in this parable that the proper place for a lamp is uncovered on a lampstand. And the proper place for the light of Christ is in the hearts of the believers to shine through. Believers, get this picture, believers are the lampstand for the light of Jesus. Think about that for a second. What a privilege that is. We are not the light, as John said. Jesus is the light, but the light of Jesus is in us and shines through us. But let me just make this obvious statement. Before you can have the light shine through us, there has to be light in us. There has to be a connection to the light source. How do you and I get connected to the light source? We surrender to the light. Last week after first service, a guy came up to me after church. He said, Matthew, I need to talk to you. And they came into my office and we talked for a few minutes. And after hearing his story, his conversation basically went this, I've come to the end of myself. I'm understanding my sin, my brokenness, my emptiness. I'm understanding that I cannot live this life. I'm understanding that I cannot be my own God. He said, something is going to have to change. 
I simply can't do this any longer. To which I say, it sounds like you're ready to give somebody else control of your life. And he said, yes. And so we prayed, he confessed, and he surrendered his life to Christ, to the light of truth. And from that, it was awesome. And from that, now he has the light in him to share that same story with others. And don't we want to see that more and more? As I mentioned earlier, a bushel is a measuring bowl, a common household utensil that was used for measuring. And get what Jesus is saying. Think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus paints this picture that the sun is going down. They didn't have electricity. The sun is going down. Somebody goes, gets a lamp, comes out, lights it, and as they're getting ready to put it on a lampstand, they take a bushel or a basket and put over it. Why would anyone do that? It doesn't make sense. The reason the candle is out is to brighten the room and dispel darkness. But hiding our light under a bushel is exactly what we do when we shy away from living and sharing Christ with those around us. As you and I as believers are here on earth, until we're taken home, our goal and responsibility is to reflect and shine the light of Jesus. But how often are we embarrassed by our faith? Ashamed to mention his name, cowered by the potential comments of others, too busy, too assuming that somebody else will do it, or that somehow they'll figure it out on their own. If that's our mentality, we are exactly like the person who walks out with a lamp and puts it on a lampstand and covers it up. I found this picture this week and I thought it was interesting. A picture of a bushel going over a candle. So can I ask you a tough question? What is your basket or bushel? What is it that hides the light of Christ in you? Is it fear? Is it need for acceptance, a greater desire for people to like you more than they like Jesus in you? Is it because you have a lack of knowledge or is it a lack of desire? Is it a lack of reality of heaven and hell? Is it more comfort over conflict? What's your bushel? What's your basket? Remember that Jesus, and God's word says that he is a consuming fire. And I just love this picture more than that one. I think we need to burn our bushels. The apostles were ordained. They heard the gospel. They heard this story, not only for themselves, but they heard it for others. Matthew Henry, a commentator, said this, There is no treasure of gifts and graces lodged in any, but with design to be communicated, nor was the gospel made a secret to the apostles to be concealed, but that it should become abroad and be divulged to all the world. Verse 24 says this, Take care what you listen to. Luke 8 Verse 18, the same parable says, take care how you listen. What we hear and how we hear are both important. In Matthew 25, the story of the talents. As we invest the talents 
Jesus says that it will give you more. The word here, H-E-A-R, is mentioned here, H-E-R-E, in Mark 13 times. I think Jesus is wanting us to listen. We don't receive the word so we can enjoy it for ourselves, but that it can be shared as the lamp with others. About five centuries ago, the years 1517, a young monk sensing the and recognizing clearly the need of an hour and seeing the truth found in the person of Jesus Christ posted 95 theses on the door of the castle of Wittenberg. His opening line said this, Out of zeal and love for elucidation or illumination of the truth, the following theses will be debated. Martin Luther. Here was a man impassioned and had a non-negotiable conviction of the word of God, and Martin Luther took on the whole world this God's light of truth. In fact, a friend told him, put it down. The whole world is against you. In other words, cover the light with a bushel. Luther replied, well, I must be against the whole world. Hide it under a bushel? No. Luther's reply about hiding under a bushel, he ended with this. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Christ came not to be concealed, but revealed. But isn't it sure easier to conceal him than reveal him? Brennan Manning said this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. There are people all over the world right now that are sharing their faith in great opposition. When David Burke and I went to Turkey a couple months ago, we met people on a daily basis who were being thrown in prison and killed because when they asked, put it under a bushel, they said no. If you want to read stories about martyrs, there's Fox's Book of Martyrs, but there's also a, a modern version called Jesus Freaks. Stories of people who said, I'm not going to hide it under a bushel. So let me close with this. What is, you, what is your or who is your standard of truth? Do you agree and submit to the understanding of the absolute truth of Jesus? Jesus is truth. And if so, is there evidence that I am allowing the light of truth of Christ and its effects through my life? Is the light of Jesus exposing my sin, consuming impurities, granting comfort and security in a dark and unsecure world, giving me direction so that I could become an image bearer of Jesus? And the third question this morning is, what is or what has the potential to be your basket or bushel? 
It may be a who is. It may be a person or a group of people. And the question is, are you and I willing to be courageous enough to identify and face our bushels in order that we might shine like the light of Christ? Now, I want to close with a song that probably you've been singing since I said the title of a message. And when I learned it, I held up my finger as my light. So I want you to stand up and hold up your light. And I want you to sing it loud and proud as your prayer to God, thanking Him for this light of Jesus and your desire to shine in a dark world. Ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. Oh, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. You got you to gotta get it louder than that. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Good job. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Last verse. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let me pray for us. God, may the words of that simple song be a parable for our own lives. That you would find us at a point of commitment and of resolve of your truth. That you would let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. That we won't hide it under a bushel, but we'll let it shine. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.